Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. Today we've got two special guests with us. Uh, you may remember back in episode 60, we talked about American Hustle. And during Jesus. our review, we talked about an article written by a friend of mine, Andrew Lapin. Hello. Yes, Andrew's here today. He's going to join us on this bonus episode, and hopefully in the future as well. Yeah. And then also joining, we've got Dan here. Hello. Dan here may, and Dan and Andrew are more qualified than anybody else that has been on the podcast ever before, except for maybe Stephen Tobolowsky. Tobolowsky's qualified too. Yeah. But certainly more qualified than us. Yeah. And then you, Nick is probably on the same level with you guys too, because he also has a degree in film. But I don't have a degree in film. That's, really, that's, I'm less qualified. That's true, but <laughs> you, you, you are being paid to write and talk about films. So that's... that's I won't, <laughs> we, I won't deny that. There you go. Pretty nice. So anyways, thank you for joining us, guys. We're glad to have you here. We hope to have you back in the future as well. Glad to be here. But you guys are here for a very special occasion, an episode that has been a long time coming. Far too long. Yeah. Far, we, far too long. We, we started teasing it back in 2013. Yep. And now it's finally here. We're going to do our John Hughes retrospective. So... um. Before we get to all that, John Hughes has a huge catalog of movies and things. If there's anything that we don't hit in this, please write to us, feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com. Talk to us on Twitter at MFN Podcast. You can also find our Instagram there, Midwest Film Nerds Podcast on Facebook. And you can give us a call, 248-7335-MFN, which is 248-7335-636. Leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the air and talk about it. As long as it's good. Is this a live call-in, Joe? This is not a live <laughs> Unfortunately, no, The phone will not ring. <laughs> we do not have that uh, technology installed yet, but maybe at some point in the future. I don't so know. It's probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. For all you youngins out there, ask your parents what a landline is. <laughs> all right. So, John Hughes, I think we're going to start off with his, uh, his first written and directed film, because there's a few things that he wrote before he directed anything, mm-hmm. but... Number one, 1984, 16 Candles, starring Molly Ringwald, uh, a person whose career he very much... Uh, made. Made, yeah. <laughs> who, is um, now, who is now a Reddit fiend, yeah. Molly Ringwald. Oh, yes. really? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, she did like her first AMA not too long ago, and, and read all the in-jokes. Yeah, and Reddit fell in love with her, and <laughs> it, yeah, as, as Reddit does with any women that come and talk to them. But... Um, <laughs> You implying that Reddit's just a bunch of nerds? I, I'm one of them. So male, male nerds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sixteen candles. I'm glad that we don't have any women on here to talk about this one because this might be a lot closer to any of their hearts. But I don't know about that. Wait, you're glad there's no women? I'm. I'm. It, I'm being oh, facetiously. I see. Yes. <laughs> um, but we need like a sarcasm button. <laughs> yeah, the, the sarcasm well, yeah. punctuation point. I, I could even see your face, and I still wasn't sure. <laughs> that's, I'm, a, that's I'm a very just, deadpan. That's sarcasm. how deadpan you are. Yeah, yeah. Yes. that's true. No. That's true. No, I, I hold a special place in my heart for this movie. Yeah. So, so um, I hadn't seen this one until honestly we started preparing for this episode about a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, you guys have a year of research on us. <laughs> no, we we started the research a year ago and stopped a year ago. That's, oh, yeah, that's, that's how the research. So you did research. not see this in high school? No, I'm very surprised. This feels like such a quintessential high school movie. Absolutely, it's like something that you watch when you are sixteen or thereabouts, and it sort of it can give you a little bit of hope for the future if maybe you're you know uncool at that particular moment. I should point out that Alex and I went to high school together. That's yeah, that's seems true. Seems particularly relevant for a John Hughes. Uh, that is conversation. That is good. Yeah, that's 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 a good little note that we can that we can add here. I went to that high school, but before <laughs> yes, you guys. So, uh, yeah, you guys. Wait, when might... did you graduate? Oh four. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Not quite. No I'm an old man. Yeah. I started oh four. Nice. Yeah. Nice. There yeah. you go. Um, 
the in regards to sixteen candles and the high school thing, this is totally what got me into this kind of era of John, John Hughes movies was the the of course the the epic high school breakup, you know, where you're just like like it's yeah. like your first relationship and you're like just down in the dumps and and so for some reason I discovered uh, sixteen candles because of that and I was like oh my god I feel so much better <laughs> I, I don't know it just it just wore, it just made me feel so good about everything I was like. Which part of these it? people get it? Jake Ryan, come on, <laughs> come on, man! Jake Ryan at the end with the cake, oh, <laughs> he gets me every time. I have a shirt that says "I heart Jake Ryan." It's got a nice picture of him on it. He's wonderful. Good. So your wish came true. It's true. Yeah. It did. It did. So now I'm happy. I'm not with Jake Ryan, but I'm happy. So yeah, you know, I I think I kind of missed it because I saw it so much later. Like I think I still think it's a very fine movie. Like it's very well crafted. He very much gets at the what it means to be a high schooler as you were kind of mm-hmm. saying andrew and and um but i still think it would like i probably this would have connected with me so much more if i were still you know 16 17 watching this i'm really interested in this point because i feel like so much of our affinity for john hughes the reason why we tend to elevate him to sort of the pantheon of great directors is is because we watch him in high school and we connect really strongly to those high school archetypes at that moment mm-hmm. so to hear you say that that you've experiences high school movies after leaving high school you know it sort of gives you a different well there's and we'll get to there's one that i experienced in high school or a little bit earlier and that is actually my favorite but we'll get to that we're teasing ahead dan (laughs) any thoughts on uh 16 candles i have never seen this film really really yeah so uh, there are a few that some of us haven't seen here if you guys want to chime and be like oh i haven't seen this one yet and then we'll take the the conversation in whatever direction it goes but i think 16 candles it's still worth a watch even if you're not in high school, I sure. think. Yeah, I, I think the reason I didn't see it is because I missed it in high school, and I thought it was more of a women's movie. But is it not? In what way is it not? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I think that you can, I mean, I think that it can be pigeonholed into chick flick territory yeah. if you want to. But I think that there are there are themes in regards to being a teenager that are totally they are totally universal for anybody. And I mean, there's other characters you can latch onto. Molly Ringwald's the main character, but. You know, you've got uh, the donger, the yeah, uh, long duck the ex- yeah, Well, he he does not hold up very well. <laughs> no, no, that. it's 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 embarrassing now. But if you look at it in the time it was made, it's you know I understand why that happened. I guess. Um, and then there's you know there's Jake Ryan and there's there's uh, there's the and nerd. Michael Hall. <laughs> yeah, the, the geek the geek as he's, he's the I, geek. I, I, yeah, I, I I didn't realize till after the movie ended that he never gets a name. Yeah, He's just the geek. Yeah, yep. Farmer Ted, I think, is the only thing they call him. Yeah. I love movies where the main character never gets a name, and you don't even realize till the end. Like the first time I saw Drive, I was like, "Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> wait, they didn't say his name, and then you want to go back and rewatch the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, you wait till the credits at the end. Oh my god, they just blew my mind. <laughs> or uh, Fight Club does the same thing as well, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. But the thing, there's this great, uh, the great plotline with the geek, which could have been, I feel like it could have been really creepy, where this whole <laughs> idea that he's he. Uh, he needs to get Molly Ringwald's panties to fulfill a bet, and 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 then he shows them to the school. And, and there's there's an so element he's charging of, a fee. He's charging a fee. Yeah. So I mean, it's it, it and it sounds really creepy when you describe it, but something about the way that it's staged and Molly Ringwald's performance, especially, makes it this this really sweet and odd and and just sort of awesomely uh, rooted in that age moment. Yeah. And I, I think it works very well. It speaks to. Uses writing power and also to the strength of the cast that he picks. Yeah, I think there's still time. Like even at this point in life, Dan, I think you can still kind of watch the movie and be like, "Oh, that's who I would have been in this situation." Like between Jake and 
the geek and even Molly Ringwald, like all, all the characters, you'll find somebody who you kind of identify with, yeah. which is, that's the power of, of John Hughes in, in my opinion. He, um, and then one thing I want to say about 16 Candles is this, I think this is before he got in his, his groove as a director. I mean, this is his first movie, so clearly yeah. he, you know, had so really his first, like his first movie that he directed or yeah. just the first that this, he directed? This is the first, first that he directed. He had, he had been a writer for National Lampoon for a long time. He actually wrote National Lampoon's Vacation, which is the, the, the perfect family road movie like yeah. it captures the the road trip like no other i actually <laughs> but, um, have um i think i read an interview with beverly d'angelo once mm-hmm. where she said that she saw john hughes's movies as being primarily about um children atoning for the sins of their parents <laughs> and she pointed to national lampoon's vacation as an example of that which gives me a new appreciation for it it is a perfect example of that yeah. absolutely um but yeah no i think that this movie suffers a little bit from his kind of his national lampoon um tendencies carrying over into this teen comedy because there's mm. some like, things like the donger is a little national lampoon and a little yeah. overly goofy for yep. for what was to come in his career so you can see a little bit and it kind of makes it more fun because you can tell it's a first-time director and and that i mean obviously his talent is fully on display but it, you can tell he's kind of finding his groove which, yeah. especially when you see his later movies so. a lot of his comedies get real wacky like so slapstick Oh yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of that's coming from his background. You know, I mean, uh, that was the, his whole job for so long. That... Yeah, totally. He's so over the place. I mean, because he also had just a lot of really deep rooted psychological issues with high school that he was mm-hmm. taking out in his scripts. And, Absolutely. Uh, and and so you you see some of the darkness, especially in Sixteen Candles. Um, Has he talked about those publicly? I I mean, well, he's he was a recluse, so I don't think in later life, right? Yeah, I think I think he. I mean, he's, he's, I know he'd been asked the question, you know, why are you so good at writing for an audience that's way younger than you? So I think, I, I don't know how old he was when he did 16 Candles, but he was in his 30s probably, uh, I, I think. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it was impressive because he's like wearing the same fashions these kids are wearing and stuff. And you almost wonder if he was like reliving his own teenage years through the kids that he was making movies with. Yeah, he was, he was 34 when he directed 16 okay. Candles. Okay. So. so he was... Well past that point, but yeah. it's almost like yeah, it's almost like he's trying to get us like a do-over, like a mulligan. It might, you know, it might be kind of a case of like Arrested Development, where he just basically like that time affected him so much that it's still something that kind of takes over his yeah psyche and delivers itself in his work. Well, but. I think that's why the teen movies that are written by him just stand out as being so much smarter than you know most other teen movies that were of the era or even that come out now, where you know it's usually about how long it takes to get the next sex joke or something. And mm-hmm. yeah. he, he seemed to be one of the only ones who was dealing with something else. Like he was, he was reading teenagers on a different wavelength. Yeah. Do you think that's because he had so long after he was finished with high school and had moved on from that, that he had time to like process those feelings and you know what I, Do you think that that has something to do with it? Maybe just his I age and I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, I, I psychoanalyze the guy based on his work, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it almost seems like he wouldn't, he wouldn't have fully processed his feelings. Some some of these movies just kind of hang open, you know, with yeah. no real answers. I mean, we can talk about The Breakfast Club later. But well, that's, mm-hmm. that, that comes up next. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Into it. So The Breakfast Club came out in 1985, once again, written and directed by John Hughes. Uh, basically about, you know, five high school students, different stereotypes in detention on a Saturday morning. Yes. I mean, yeah, as far as The Breakfast Club goes, you what that movie basically is is these five characters who – bounce around each other and uh, acknowledge the wrongdoings or don't. But then there's not, 
there's not a true resolution that's reached in the end. You know, they they leave and they're 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 slightly happier, but you don't really get a sense that anyone's going to turn their life around or you know, yeah. like that. The next day at school is going to be any easier for any of them. Uh, it just kind of these guys have issues and they were all brought together for one day and then they, they, they go their separate ways at the end. And, and there's some lingering tension in that film, which I've always found pretty fascinating. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's a huge, I mean, that's probably my favorite aspect of the movie. And people have talked about a breakfast club reunion movie and for years uh, and years and years, even John Hughes had mentioned it once or twice that they were going to come back and do this big reunion thing. I don't want that. Yeah. yeah. Because that's the whole point of that movie is, is it's the damn theme song at the end. Like, <laughs> Will you walk on by? Will you, you know, like, like that's the whole point of the movie is nice fist pump over here to my left. Um, <laughs> no, there's a, that's the whole point is, are they even going to speak to each other? After yeah. this? I mean, these are people who have bonded on a very, very deep emotional level. They've talked about horrible things that their families have done to them. They've talked yeah. about horrible things they've done to themselves or to each other or to each other. Yeah. And they've sh- had this shared experience that literally no one will ever know about more than likely. Yeah. It's it's that's it's, that's the right. it's a really yeah. fleeting like yeah and their ma- their manifesto their manifesto at the end doesn't really say anything about who they were except for the fact that they were there at the Breakfast Club I mean, yeah. it doesn't really they were there that one Saturday together yeah yeah I don't know uh, I this is another one I didn't see this until like a few years ago my mm. God like I, this was this was a midnight movie at the main after high school okay oh, but that was movie. it was kind of a perfect place to go see it like it was a good group of people who. Who identified, and there were some younger teens who absolutely identified with it, and then there were the people that were, you know, a little bit older than me who probably saw this in the theater and things like that. But it's a really like I I don't know why it took me so long to watch this movie with how much people actually loved it because I it's another one that would have meant a lot to me if I had seen it a little bit earlier. I think Dan, did you see this in high school? I did with my sister. I was probably in middle school or high school. What was I going to say? Uh. Can you describe the ruckus? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's oh my god. There's so many good lines in this movie. Yeah. This oh. this one is so quotable. I was gonna say that it's very voyeuristic, the way that you are peering into this day that's so private to them, and they have these stereotypes, but they challenge the stereotypes, but in a way they reinforce them because that's the whole climax of the movie is them discussing well what are we gonna do tomorrow and then saying it's all gonna go back to normal, but we still had this time. Yeah. And there's a, there's an idea of I think breaking free of that you're kind of trapped in high school. It's kind of a prison. It's which this movie feels like a prison movie. Like they're, they're they can't go anywhere. They <laughs> yeah. can't do anything. Bottle episode. And there's yeah. a yeah. And there's there's a um there's kind of a feeling of them accepting the fact that they say at the end you know you are exactly what we what we are exactly what you think we are. We're a brain and a geek and so on and so forth. Because they they can't be anything more until they get out of high school and go do their own thing and fi- figure out who they are. But they can't do that because when everybody looks at you and says you're you're stirring up trouble, you're a criminal, you're never going to break free of that until you get a chance. It, it's I like that too because it's like they accept the fact that this is who we're going to be in high school. There's no getting around it, yeah. and but we're going to have our chance to hopefully figure it out. You think there's an element of emotional fantasy to this movie when when you watch it i i have this distinct memory of our student newspaper in high school which granted was not very good um <laughs> when they were reporting on the possibility that that our the, our assistant principal was going to start offering saturday detentions they framed it as berkeley high school might be getting its very own breakfast club <laughs> i was like it's something to to aspire to you know right that's really funny to me by the way that's amazing that's totally a berkeley high school thing to do <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> now, you know, I, I think that it's, I don't know. I think we all kind of long for that, don't we? In, in a little way, like to meet these people who, and just have that one, like you said, this fleeting moment with, with a group of people that is yours yeah. entirely. And, and it's different with friends, with longtime friends. There's a whole different aspect there. I mean, you see each other hopefully regularly and it's, but I mean, I've had experiences in my life that aren't breakfast club. I don't think I ever will have a breakfast club moment. <laughs> But I've had experiences like that where I've like summer camps and stuff. Like I did a summer yeah. camp for three weeks and it's a longer period of time than this movie. But where you're just connecting with people that you otherwise wouldn't have would the opportunity never, to. Would never, ever, ever have connected with. Or like society doesn't let it happen. Or like, you know, your perceived intention, like what you think of society won't let that happen. Like you don't think it would be accepted. Well, you, st- yeah. you still write and call them every day, right? Yeah, yeah. You're still the best They're, friends you said you would be. In constant you know, contact. You know, it's... um. It, it was interesting though because it's you have different people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, and you you learn a little bit a little bit about each other in that kind of setting because you have to. I mean, I was staff at this camp, and you have to like prepare yourselves to work as a team to make sure kids don't you know drown in the lake. Yeah, um, you know. <laughs> but so and this we should also say this is kind of the solidification of the brat pack. Yes. This is like the establishment. Like Molly Ringwald has been hired twice, and this is like the group of people that. Anthony Michael, Anthony Hall. Michael Hall as yeah. well, who who John Hughes kind of continues to pick from in, in terms of the movies that he writes and directs, like the people that get cast in these movies. I still think Ali Sheedy is the glue that holds that whole movie together. Yeah. I think if, if it weren't for her just completely outrageous and <laughs> amazing performance, you know, as, as this total kook, uh, the, 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 the dynamics of the other four don't really work. She plays off each other with this great um, non sequitur uh uh, behavior that's just i mean it's it's a thrill to watch absolutely absolutely and just watching other people react to her and yeah it's it's very good this shoot must have been grueling there's so many great monologues but to be stuck in there and have every scene be like a really heavy dialogue emotional scene that must have been yeah. like fun but also agony to shoot yeah, yeah. I, I, so they I all like got sick of each other yeah <laughs> It's yeah. probably the opposite of the, of the plot of the movie. I'm thinking now that most of Don Hughes's mo- most well-known movies are all set in like very small spans of time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. Breakfast Club is one day, Sixteen Candles is one night, Paris Bueller is one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mostly seems, in interiors too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just really compresses all these emotions and um, and 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 characteristics into the tiniest amount of space and time that he can. Uh- that feeds into kind of the voyeurism that Dan was talking about. It's very, very intimate and very close knit in terms of how he shoots the movies and just the content as well. So and there's times in this movie when you want to look away, but you can't. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh god, this yeah. is not good. This is making me feel very uncomfortable. But yeah. All right, so uh, we should move on to Weird Science, also in 1985, uh, written and directed by John Hughes, uh, starring Michael An- Michael Anthony Hall. Excuse me. Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. Dexter. Jesus. Dexter is star. <laughs> Michael C. Hall. Uh, yeah, yep. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Weird Science, once again, another one that I probably watched in preparation for this episode a year ago. Um, synopsis on IMDb. Two high school nerds attempt to create the perfect woman, but she turns out to be much more than that. This one doesn't have a special place in my heart like the other ones do. Really? Uh, like most of the other ones do. No, it doesn't. Um, Even despite the fact that Bill Paxton. Paxton is amazing. <laughs> I, and you know how much I love Bill Paxton. Yes. Um, this He's hilarious in this yeah. movie. But this one, this one in the, with 16 Candles, like I was talking about, it's like a blend of his kind of goofy out there stuff and then his, you know, kind of 
more dramatic and you know and and then i think breakfast club went in one direction and then weird science went in the other direction <laughs> um yeah cuz weird science is insane it's yeah. like a, it's like a crazy person's movie absolutely it just it's just stuff happening in front of you that makes zero sense but it's 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 a fun movie they always threw this one in the box set next to 16 candles and the breakfast club called it the john hughes pack that's right i don't really know if it's it doesn't seem to match up with the others I literally had the exact same thought when I remember them putting that yeah. out. That that DVD set. I was thinking like, why is it not like Ferris Bueller in this yeah. pack? Maybe it was a licensing issue. It check. probably they was. Just had to fill it out. Well, we got to get a third DVD from somewhere. <laughs> it probably was. And Weird Science was probably pretty cheap. So, uh, no, it's I don't know. It it's not a it's not a bad movie. It's a fun movie. I think everybody should check it out at some point because there's some early there's an early Robert Downey Jr. performance that's fun to watch. Yeah. Um and and it's cool to see. Bill Paxton uh, being proto Paxton, you know, like this is this is everything you love or hate about Bill Paxton, like the genesis of that. So, how do you, how do you think this film handles the idea of them of, of two teenage boys creating a woman in, in a lab? I mean, in terms of the the gender dynamics that are at play, it's 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 got a lot. Of, honestly, it handles it pretty well. Like, it's not as as gross and kind of sleazy as you would expect that to be. There's moments towards the beginning that are when they. Before they really get to know her and become yeah. like friends with her, I think but, that Kelly LeBrock, like she makes it, she she kind of clearly defines like, okay, you guys aren't gonna like use me, but this, this is, is what a, I'm going to be for you. It's it's weird. Their intention obviously is very. What do they learn about women? I haven't seen the film. It's it's funny because like here's this this woman that they've created through a computer. Pro- I'm not even gonna get into the science. I know the plot, but but <laughs> she weird. she kind of science. she kind of becomes this. <laughs> She's essentially a newborn, and she becomes this like this kind of guide for them to figure out who the hell they are and get their shit together a little bit. And I like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's, she. I mean, it, what she kind of gives them a little bit of a. You don't need to be. You don't need me to be cool. Kind of like she. She inspires. Like she. They throw the party, and she's there, and everybody's there because she's there. But then again, like they end up standing up for themselves through her action. It's. It's. Oh no! That sounds really problematic it's it's wacky but it, and it's it's kind of all over the place and that's probably like i didn't love this one when i watched it it but was did they not... learn that women aren't objects and should be treated with respect or they just created a woman they played god <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no Adam's I, rib. I think i think there's i i can't say the lesson is hammered home all that well yeah but uh but the, it's a woman ha- hammered home yeah <laughs> Uh, no, there's not there. I mean, there are no gross, <laughs> okay, weird. We built her sex scenes. No, that's, yeah, and, I mean, that's, with a woman around. Her. Yeah, it's it's not as um, uh, gender like it. It's not. It doesn't do anything to dissuade that. It's very much. It seems a little bit like the. It fulfills the fantasy of the teenage boys. Like, so it's doing both of it. Both things. Kind of. Yeah. It's, it's, it wants. It's be. doing a little bit of both, kind of poorly. Well, because they because they wind up. You know, they they get the girls. Of course, the not the the fake girl. The girls that they like in high school or whatever. Yeah. You know, so they they win and they. But it's kind of because of the girl they built, who's telling her that telling them that they don't really need her to do the things that they're doing, but they do. I don't know. It's it's kind of all over the place. I think I think that like it's one of those things where. It, they definitely wouldn't have focused on them. Like this isn't being looked at in a gender studies class. No, no. For either reason, I don't think it like demeans women. I don't think it means like it, the the central idea that two kids are creating a woman with their like that's obviously not good. But what are you going to do about it? Seems it seems like he's a, Hughes was aware of the 
conflict that he was creating by doing that, right? I mean, you don't you don't have that as your movie's synopsis if you are not interested in some way at the gender roles at play. Yeah, you know, because you, you hear the premise and you're like, oh, it's these teenage boys fawning over mm-hmm. this woman they've created. It does. It's not that. It's really. It really doesn't fall into that trap. There's moments, but yeah. Disney made uh, made for television original for adolescents with the gender roles reversed. It's not called Weird Science Two or something. It's it's called like How to Build a Better Boy or a Perfect Boy or something. So it's two, it's two girls who yeah, build a two a girls guy. have like a dad who's a researcher and they like stumble into his lab and make this hot dude. Chris Hemsworth. I don't. Know. Yeah. <laughs> what happens? Uh, I was babysitting and I saw the first twenty minutes. Oh man! That's, I don't know how a pr- it premise ends. like that. What, what a cliffhanger! Yeah. <laughs> No, maybe he meets the woman from Weird Science, and they live in the computer world together. They have, they have weird babies. It becomes yeah. Tron. They build the grid. Uh. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it, on it, th- this movie does have some heart to it, though it does, and I think that all of John Hughes' movies, even the ones that are a little, uh, you know, I'm looking at you, Curly Sue, uh, aren't are, they still have a sense of heart to them, and I like that. I think that that's something that's lost a lot in in comedies today is that that. They're funny sometimes, but there's no, there's nothing to make me want to come back to it. Yeah. I laugh. It's over in two hours, hour and a half, and then that's it. Yeah. And I like that these ones at least stay with me. What's a movie in the last ten years where you felt a comedy that you do feel like there's an emotion that you want to come back to it? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, fifty fifty. That's a great yeah. comedy. Fifty fifty. Yeah. Um, that actually reminds me a little bit of John Hughes' writing style. I mean, it's it's different enough, and it's yeah. but it's that was one that kind of. That I, that's the first thing that popped in my head was 50-50. Yeah. So. And there's other ones. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like every comedy that has been complete crap or anything. I think a lot of the indie comedies are really uh, uh, Kings of Summer. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. I really enjoyed the to-do list, and that seemed to me like uh, uh, directly from the John Hughes school of um, – which one was that? The to-do list is the one with Aubrey Plaza is trying to lose uh, her virginity. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's very it's 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 got this interesting feminist bend. And I, I, for me, the jokes landed. I, a lot of people didn't like it, but I, I really enjoyed it. Scott Porter's hilarious in it. Yeah. Oh, you'll, you're sold, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bill Hader is a lifeguard who doesn't know how to swim. Yeah. All right. Did you guys see Obvious Child? No, I really I want to. I think it's incredible. I've heard that's great. Jenny Slate said... Uh, Directorial debut? Did she direct? No, she stars. She's, She's Gillian, stars. Gillian Rothbersi. It's an abortion dramedy. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. And it's excellent. All right. All right. Um, we should move on. So this is the beginning of a beautiful partnership. Uh, Howard Deutsch, who, who apparently edited the uh, uh, tr- one of the trailers for 16, can't probably be trailer, because I don't think they did 10 trailers for movies. No, they went a bunch then. of TV spots. Were there yeah. trailer previews then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teaser the tra- teaser the, trailers. The trailers gave away everything back then. They did. We were much more sophisticated now. <laughs> so uh, sarcasm button. Yeah, yeah. There it is. <laughs> Howard Deutsch uh, edited the the trailer for Sixteen Candles, and John Hughes liked the work that he did so much that John Hughes started kind of giving scripts to Howard uh, Deutsch to direct, uh, so that John Hughes could kind of cover more ground in one year, basically. I think at this point too, with the three movies we just talked about under his belt. People were starting to realize that John Hughes was going to be the guy. Yeah, he like, should he should have some clout, and he's you know. And I think he had a lot of scripts that he. I mean, I he loved to write. Yeah, like that was what he. I think that was his passion was writing. So I think he had a lot of these scripts probably halfway done or partially done or sitting on a shelf forever. And this was a nice way for him to get more work out there, but not have to direct two movies every year. Yeah. So 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 we've got Pretty in Pink in 1986 once again starring Molly Ringwald, um, John Cryer, John Cryer, Harry Dean Stanton. 
course. Um, a poor girl must choose between the affection of her doting childhood sweetheart and a rich but sensitive playboy. I hated this movie. <laughs> you did not hate this movie. I didn't like it very much. Wow. Not even James Spader could turn you turn you onto it. Uh, what did no. you hate? See what what I kind of hate about this movie is apparently what John Hughes might spoiler alert incoming. Movie. Just so yeah. you know, I, and I we're not you know it's from 1986. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I don't think she should end up with the Andrew McCarthy character at all. Like, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Point of contention. Yeah, like, it's a really um, controversial ending. It's challenging you, absolutely. And it's, the it's, only one who feels you expect way. you expect the sweet and lovable guy who's been there all along to emerge victorious by virtue of his niceness, right? Not necessarily by the virtue of his niceness. I just think that Andrew McCarthy should not get the girl because of the fact that he doubted her at all in the first place. Even though his line is that, "Oh, I didn't doubt you; I doubted myself." That's a bunch of BS. <laughs> That's total BS. You know what? Your friend doesn't want you to be with this woman. He looks down on her. If you really want to be with her, you should be with her anyway. You shouldn't be with her because you realize that he's just being a jerk. You know? That's, that, those are my thoughts. That's why I don't like Pretty in Pink. That's why I do love Some Kind of Wonderful. Kind of. We'll get to that. I, I will say this. I think a lot of the blowback from the ending of this movie is because John Cryer is super, super charismatic and puts in a really good performance and Andrew McCarthy's just kind of sleepwalking through it because <laughs> he was drinking a lot at the time. <laughs> so you can actually play a game. You can watch this movie and go, how many beers did Andrew McCarthy have before he rolled out of bed that morning? Um, Breach take or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. How many, how many shots did he take? No, I, <laughs> alcoholism joke. Haha. <laughs> um, Wait, was he actually an alcoholic? Yeah. He oh, was. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think if they had cast somebody who was, who was not more believable. Cause I don't think Andrew McCarthy's like, <laughs> bad in this movie but he he's sleepwalking through the movie and i i don't think he's that likable so you're really kind of like but it, but even like just the character motivations alone i don't think he should win the girl like it, it, to me it does the ending of 16 candles bother you she winds up with a guy she barely knows who looks like he's 25 <laughs> that's true because he is 25 at the time actually in the in the he was he was 24 when they filmed the movie and she was like 16 there you go <laughs> That's I, super creepy. See that? I'm, it's on her 16th birthday. <laughs> I, I, he, his age didn't bother me at all because I just assumed he's of high school age. That one doesn't bother me as much because he's still kind of like he's interested in her. Is and, it just because it doesn't bother you because she doesn't have any other uh, uh, viable romantic interests? I mean, uh, pretend like if if you're saying if there was a ducky character, I'm saying, in yeah, it, because it seems like it's mostly the fact that she sets up. They set up a conflict in Pretty Pink, right? But that, and like what I'm saying, I'm not saying that she should have ended up with John Cryer. I don't care. That's you know what? <laughs> He's friend zoned, probably. That's what happened there. So it's like the ending of Wedding Crashers. I don't care if you wind up with me, just not with him. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that's how I feel about how I feel about Pretty Pink. I, I don't I don't disagree with you, Alex, on that. I just I think that it's it's hard watching this movie now and not. Hopefully, for most people, it's hard to make this decision, but. It's you don't get why he would just listen to his buddy James Spader and and totally betray his feelings for Molly Ringwald. But when you're in high school, see, I was never po- I was never popular in high school, so I don't know what it was like to have the pressure from all those people. Yeah, it probably isn't easy for some people. I mean, it's there's probably people who want to hang out with different people and go do different things that are out of the norm for that group. And, and oh, there's so much pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. See, this is yeah. what we're talking about. Is, yeah, the popular marching band kids. Yeah, <laughs> ruled the school. The marching yeah. when they strong armed you out of hanging out with, with the girl that you loved. I mean, that's not cool, you know. And and I don't. 
Now, yeah, I, I, I think that is true. I think there's truth to that, though. I think that there is a lot of pressure put on some people in certain social groups and cliques and stuff. I think it. I think it's just as hard for some of those people as as, as somebody who really like and as <laughs> Andrew's kind of alluding to. We were marching band kids. I didn't feel any of the social coterie like click kind of stuff going around so maybe that maybe it's because there's no part of me that understands what andrew mccarthy's going through that i, I just don't straight either up, so but I, and i wanted to mention that andrew and i were both trombone players that's right we of, were of old but um sweet bones yeah Tr- tromboners yeah, as they're known um but james smitter smokes in the hallway so you should probably listen to him <laughs> pretty fucking cool he is oh, wait, pretty sorry, sweet what's the What's the language policy? Oh, you podcast? can say whatever you want, man. We've got the explicit tag. We got to earn the explicit, the explicit tag. And and uh, is North Korea listening though? Uh, yeah, uh, I, probably I don't not. Know. It, you know what? We're gonna stand up though. I hear Kim Jong Un loves James Spader. He's a big fan. Yeah, he re- <laughs> he, re- he, re- he all his birthday parties for James Spader. Spader. They yeah. actually, he's actually retitled it "Pretty in Red." <laughs> <laughs> Spader uh, is really slimy in this, though. Absolutely. Like, I, I kind of like Spader in this movie because he's so over he, the top. It's always ducky. I I love it though. I love I love the I love the sleaziness of James Spader, and he's he's the, kind of the same character in Less Than Zero, but even grosser, like even more disgusting as a human being, and I like that too. So. I love the way Hughes uses music, which I'm sure will come up again later, but the. Uh, the lip sync sequence in that great record store with, um, oh god, I only any pots, yeah. But the song. Oh, I thought this... two and a half ducky character. No, I'm sorry, I was. I thought you were at, talking about the What's record the ducky store lady's name. Uh, John Cryer. John Cryer. Two and a half. Ducky. Two and a half <laughs> men. Two and a half duckies. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Uh. So, any other thoughts? Do you guys any more thoughts on? The most controversial part about the ending to me is how hideous her dress is <laughs> that she made herself. She's but, not so pretty in pink, is that what you're saying? No. There's no charm to it. Maybe her. with a different fabric she'd be pretty in pink. Well, we'll we'll roll back around to 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 pretty in pink, but um so next up Ferris Bueller's Day Off written and directed by John Hughes in 1986. This is the one John Hughes high school comedy that I saw before or during high school. Mm-hmm. And it is by far my favorite of his work. Yeah, I think it's a pretty bona fide, uh, you know, standout from beginning to end. Although, actually, I will say, when I first saw this movie, I hated Bueller. I thought he was just a, a really asshole, and I wanted him to get his comeuppance. I was rooting for Jennifer Grey, his sister. <laughs> I wanted her to get him in the end. Um, <laughs> well, she married Clark Gregg in real life, and he married Sarah Jessica Parker. So, who won? Well, I, you know. Matthew Broderick also weekly. Yeah. News. Thank you for the recap. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Um, you need the real world pal- parallels. I have suppose. To. Yeah. We starring uh, Matthew Broderick. I'll go through the same stuff. A high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school, despite what the principal thinks of that. Principal being played by Jeffrey Jones of child porn fame. I don't know. Um, Ooh. Oh, wait. Got in the controversy with finding it. Uh, he yeah he got like a he he was arrested and I think. There were some things going on yeah. that I don't actually know the legal ramifications. Yeah, I don't. Of, and it I wasn't don't, good. Probably shouldn't talk about it. Really uh, character. Also starring Alan Ruck, amazing, and Mia Sara. For defamation, we keep talking about his kitty porn den or his not kitty porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alleged yeah. kitty porn. <laughs> ben Stein is also in this movie. This movie was That's full of creepy adults. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the whole point, though? That is the point. Yeah, it is the point. It works well considering. I think this movie for me, it just. It kind of hits. It's the right balance of the wackiness. You've got a lot of really like 
physical count, especially like the scene that I always think of is Jeffrey Jones running between the classrooms in the hallway. Like he slows down in front of the door and then starts running again. Yeah. Like, or the dog, think, the dog yeah. fight. Yeah. Yep. And, like it, there's, it does the comedy in like all the right places. And then it kind of really brings it in and becomes more introspective and interpersonal in, in areas with like Cameron and Ferris. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it just combines all of those beautifully into this one story that just, gels really well and i just i was just i've just become privy to the fact that there are people out there that just hate ferris I, it's not like <laughs> he's I a jerk i mean his philosophy think, boils down to there was a south park episode where they're making fun of it and and cartman's line is like the twist on the life moves pretty fast line where he just says the life moves pretty fast and if you don't stop and look around once in a while and do everything you want to all the time <laughs> you could miss it <laughs> just pretty much exactly how i feel about ferris bueller but this is a wish fulfillment of course, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've all wanted this day too. Yeah. Just once. Yeah. I went and skipped school to see X Men too, so that was my Ferris Bueller's day. <laughs> That's the best of the X Men films, in my opinion. Right. Exactly. It wasn't so bad. I mean, I didn't, oh, you know, great. ride around and parade, but I saw X Men. You didn't too. become Abe Froman. No, I did not. I did not. <laughs> Sausage did. King of Chicago. Oh. Um, I love Cameron. That's. I'm just going to throw amazing. that out there. I love uh, the diving board scene. Where he becomes catatonic. Yeah. That's oh my, my god. Sequence in the movie. I, it's such a great little button on the the rest of the day that 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 would happen. His face is fascinating. He's one of the actors where like no matter what they're doing, their face is just always entertaining and engaging. Super interesting. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. guy. That guy was in The Happening. He has one line. Alan Ruck. Yeah. Oh. Alan Ruck. He. I, I met him and he's really nice. I just want to throw that out there. I always loved he's him. Super on, cool. Like yeah. I, I. I loved him on Spin City. Like. Yeah, he was good on Spin City. I was always a fan of Alan. Ryan. I liked him in Young Guns Before too. My time. <laughs> he he was also uh, he I think at some point he was a captain of the Enterprise in the Star Trek series. Nice the films. I think he ends up dying quickly or something. I don't remember. He's not captain for very long, as far as I know. Welcome to the Midwest Alan Ruck podcast. <laughs> um, no, he's great. He is. He really is. And his his storyline with um, his father, who is probably the creepiest adult in this movie, but you don't even see him. Um, is my favorite thing about this movie. Yeah. Everything, everything having to do with the stealing of the car and uh, his coming to terms with his relationship with his dad. And you never have to actually see the the resolution of that, but it's better that you don't because you can kind of insert your own idea of what happened that day. Do you feel like he that Ferris treated Cameron unfairly in this movie? I'm continuing the narrative of Ferris Bueller is a jerk. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because it's, I'm one of those people who, and I, I still do this sometimes, where I'm the guy who doesn't want to go out and do anything. And even when you have people calling you like, hey, let's go do this, or this is going on, or we're going to go do this, I, I just want to be, I'm like, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to leave. And then usually when I wind up leaving, I have a pretty good time when I wind up getting drug out of bed. You're the Cameron of the group. So on one hand, I don't think it, I don't think he was very nice to Cameron. On the other hand, I'm like, Cameron is probably thankful for it at the end of the day. So That's true. You don't want a group full of Camerons. No, no nothing ever happens. No. So, yeah. Um, Have you got, are any of you guys privy to the spoilers for Fight Club? If you haven't seen Fight Club, which has been out for 15 years. I referenced Fight Club earlier. Yeah. yeah, I know. But so, um, are you guys privy to the idea that Ferris is a figment of Cameron's uh, I've imagination? Heard I've heard that. It's I never fun. thought about it much, though. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't watched the movie with that lens as of yet. Like, I haven't like sat there to try and dissect because I don't. It doesn't hold up. It was just like a trailer re-edit that. It's like a retroactive. Did. You oh, know, because Fight Club was sort of the first movie to do that. Yeah. It's, yeah. How does that make it's sense? Funny. 
It does not. Basically, basically, Ferris is an invention of Cameron's mind in order to help him stand up to his father. You have to pretend that uh, Jennifer Grey doesn't exist. Probably. Are yeah, there any scenes in the movie that Cameron's <laughs> in like, that I'm not Ferris going to do that. Pro- I, I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I love the strong female characters in this movie. Yeah. Um, can you help me with the names? The, um, there's the sister and the girlfriend, which is I didn't mean to be like. I don't think women Sloan, Sloan, Sloan is the girlfriend. Sloan is the girlfriend. And then yeah. Yeah, she's, Jeannie. She's got the... a lot of character and pizzazz and energy, and and then I love the redemption of is this just Jeannie? Jeannie. The yep. redemption of Jeannie when the Charlie Sheen uh, the holding cell. That's like <laughs> that's a great. That's probably scene. oh my god, that's so great. I love that scene when they, when they were cuts to them making out. That's like. Perfect tag. <laughs> yeah, because instead okay, of like funny. the snippy adults getting the redemption, it's it's the bitchy withholding sister. It's a- apparently Charlie Sheen is reprising his role from this film on an episode of The Goldbergs. What? I don't know if any of you I watched know they, The Goldbergs. Why do they let Charlie Sheen back on TV? Oh, he's been on TV since he left. <laughs> let him out of jail. Yeah, he doesn't count. <laughs> I guess he it's didn't sleep TV. for like seventy-two hours to to like look that way. Apparently, I don't know. I read something about yeah. behind the scenes where he like he literally stayed up for like three days, and then he like. The, the bags under his eyes and Ferris Bueller are are real. It's not makeup. No, like, and my really guess is it was a lot of cocaine. But um, <laughs> if I had to hazard allegedly, guess, it would, allegedly, allegedly, it was cocaine. Half a million dollars in film's budget was Charlie Sheen's cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, this is Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen's cocaine budget. Uh, please, we're not going to keep it on the uh, above the line. We'll keep that one. Yep. I have to mention my favorite favorite scene. <laughs> uh, in this we haven't movie. marked as Charlie Sheen's makeup on the budget. <laughs> White powder. <laughs> Uh, my nose. Okay. My favorite scene in this movie is um, is the scene in the museum when they have that uh, instrumental oh, version of yep. "Please, Please, Please" playing, and they're yep. staring and looking at the paintings. That whole sequence is so good, and it says there's nothing said, there's no dialogue, but it just I don't know. It tells you a lot about it. Great piece of filmmaking. It yeah. really is, yeah. and that I, I chose that, that song, as, or we chose that song for my future wife to walk down the aisle to in May. So yeah, when I went future to the- wife, are you Tommy Wiseau? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was going to do a Tommy Wiseau impression, and then I, was, I didn't even. You're tearing me apart. Yeah. <laughs> You're so pretty, and I love you. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Yeah. Hi, doggy. Uh, I actually re- I, when I went to the Chicago Art Museum, I recreated the sequence where it edits to the close-ups of the afternoon of the Glen. The ground shot with the the pixelated the dot painting. Oh yeah, awesome. I reenacted it and I got yelled at by a security guard. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, we actually um, the camera. Uh, so I went to the University of Michigan. I was in the Michigan marching band too because I am so cool. And um, we did a we did a Ferris Bueller's Day Off themed halftime show with uh, video skits where our drum major was basically taking the day off and didn't feel like uh, doing the halftime show. And so we filmed him going to the the Natural History Museum in Ann Arbor and reenacting the same scenes and. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It was it was a good. That's awesome. We won that game too, so I I thank John Hughes for that. Good, good. Yeah. The parade sequence is one of the most transformative and gleeful and just ecstatic scenes ever. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. They should show it to depressed people. <laughs> just play it on a loop. <laughs> I love that idea. I think Richard Roper said this is one of his favorite movies. Dan, when, when are you starting a mental institution? By the way. <laughs> A uh, cinematic mental institution? Yeah. Uh, April, we hope. Okay. <laughs> hope to pull through, if, you break, wanna, break if you want to sponsor the podcast, let me know. Uh, any other thoughts, Ferris Bueller? It's a great movie. That's all. Really, really yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. No matter what you think of Ferris. Wow. Yeah, wow. even if you hate Ferris, it's a damn good movie. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. He's the villain of the piece. 
All right. So next up, we're back to a Howard uh, Deutsch-directed film written by John Hughes, Some Kind of Wonderful, um, starring Eric Stoltz. Um, and the IMDb synopsis says, a young tomboy, Watts, finds her feelings finds finds her feelings for her best friend, Keith, run deeper than friendship when he gets a date with the most popular girl in school. Unfortunately, the girl's old boyfriend, who is from the rich section of town, is unable to let go of her and plans to get back at Keith. There's a lot of class differences going on in uh, the this John Hughes Uber. Other side of the literal tracks. No, yeah. Actually... The main character lives on the other side of the railroad tracks from the main girl, so it's not even literal at this point. Yeah, it's yeah. Like it is literal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which, so which Webster's definition of literally are we talking about here? <laughs> um, so this movie is pretty much, like, I, I, I couldn't find the exact piece of trivia, but this is almost a direct response to the vitriol of Pretty in Pink. Was it's, there a vitriol to Pretty in Pink? The, I thought it the, the, held the up. controversy of of the ending of Pretty in Pink. Oh, I see. Pretty much, John Hughes was pissed about the ending of Pretty in Pink, so he made this movie. So wait, he, that was not Hughes' intended ending. No, no. In Pretty in Pink, what? How did he want Pretty in Pink to end? Ducky and uh, he wanted it to end with Ducky. Yep. So it, who was it? Was it was, was test audiences? Test audiences Apparently, wanted. test audiences and the producers were like, "This is sending a bad message to today's youth what? because they're showing that." If she gets with Ducky, they're showing that the good kid and the bad girl can't get together. That that it, it's not possible. The class the classes can't mix. This is crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. So so it was it was these rich asshole test audiences probably. Right? Pro- maybe yeah, <laughs> <laughs> possibly allegedly. <laughs> Who changed uh, the essential component of this film? Yeah, okay. and and so some kind of wonderful it was like this weird cool. Like mirror piece to well, they, Pretty in Pink. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they, they swap they swap the the, the genders, genders in this one. Yeah. Um. And but it's it's essentially the same story. Yeah. It really is. Um. You Just, even have the James Spader ish character in this one. He's a little involved differently within the the relationship stuff. But yeah. It's. So I take it you haven't seen Andrew. You haven't seen some kind of one. I have not seen some kind okay. of one. Okay. Yeah. It's um. It's really interesting to kind of watch the two side by side because. Yeah. You get to kind of, you see the the similarities, and and you get to look at the differences between just like I, I, I still have some issue with it because, in a lot of ways, the Ducky character in this one, like the relationship that they have, doesn't seem that great. Like Watts is not particularly um, because she's a tomboy, she kind of doesn't. She she puts up a front in that she's very kind of abrasive about everything and 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 to me it's a little like I don't know how believable that relationship is. Is she a tomboy in the sense that her sexuality could be ambiguous if you watch it today, or is it more that just she shares? A lot I of I don't disagree with that actually. She, I think it could be ambiguous. There's scenes. Remember the scene in the locker room where they're kind of yeah that's tr- yeah that's they're very kind of giving true. her crap and you're not sure how what she she gives. They they kind of give her crap for the uh, the underwear she's wearing. Yeah. Okay. And is it, I think it's boxer shorts. She's wearing boxer shorts. Yep. And the the look and the response she gives to them, it's kind of nebulous, and you're not quite sure exactly what you know what I mean. What yeah. it's for? So no, I just I'm not used to hearing the word tomboy used to describe someone who's older than I don't know, ten. Is yeah. That, well, she. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that scout is that other people? Kill Mockingbird. Yeah, it's scout. Right. <laughs> but so it, it's a. It's a very interesting dynamic to kind of look and see how this movie, and I, and I'm going to talk about this concept a little bit later, which I may be off because I haven't seen the movies that I'm going to talk about in a while. <laughs> in a, in a while, I've seen them. Uh, 
walking but, on coals there. <laughs> Got to be careful. This is why I host a podcast because I'm so qualified to be doing this. But um, it's still really, really cool. And I think it is something worth checking out if you've never seen. Like if you've never heard. Like I didn't even know some kind of wonderful was a thing until Willie was like, hey, watch this for our, our thing. And was This is the one. What's that? Was it successful? Uh, I don't know actually how it did. I'm not sure. I know um, this is the one that I, I had no idea this movie even existed either when I was watching him. And I went on my John Hughes Fest after my breakup in high school. And I was like, wait, there's another Pretty in Pink, but it ends in a better way that I would appreciate more. And it's not like I have to seek it out, you know. Um, it's so After high school breakup, you turned to John Hughes. I did. It seems like something I did. we could it was a, poke at here. It was a beautiful, uh, beautiful... Awakening. Yeah. yeah. It was nice. He, he helped me out through a, through a tough time, so... No, anyway, so some kind of wonderful before we move on to the next one. I, I like this movie. I think it it's hard not to draw comparisons to Pretty in Pink because it's the same movie, basically. Yeah. Which is a little frustrating purely because you want something a little more original from him at this point. Woody <laughs> yeah. um, well, makes the same movie every year. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's true. Sick um, burn. <laughs> so and I thought it was weird that he had uh, Howard Deutsch do this one, too, because Howard Deutsch did Pretty in yeah, Pink. And I'm like... Would... You would think he would want to direct the one that was fixing the mistakes of the, the perceived mistakes of the first one. Yeah, um, you just gave him another shot. I guess uh, you right your wrongs, sir. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Yeah, it looks like um, some kind of wonderful made about eighteen million. Which back in the day, does it say what the budget was? Probably not. No, it does not. So I don't know. I mean, it doesn't did okay. Like, probably it doesn't. Hold, I mean, it's not. It's not held in as high regard as Pretty in Pink, and so that might have give you an idea of how well. Yeah, it was received. And and the fact that um, uh, Pretty in Pink revolves around uh, the girl character. I think she gets. A, she's a lot stronger in that one, and 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 it makes a little more sense that I think people would fall behind her rather than. Eric Stoltz's character is a little bit of a blank slate in this movie, yeah. whereas Molly Ringwald's a little bit more of a character in Pretty in Pink. So that's that is definitely a yeah. an issue. But I think the Watts character is infinitely more interesting than Ducky, think, or yeah. I think she's the yeah, most interesting true. out of any there's, of these. There's more depth to Watts than there is to Ducky. I think she's a lot. Yeah, I, I like the Watts character. Yeah, she's cool. All right, I think we can move on here to uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. The first one on this list that is not about teenagers. Exactly. This is the transitional period. Very, very, very interesting. Um, I hadn't seen this movie until Willie told me that I needed to see this movie. At gunpoint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's how I would have gone. But um, so, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, starring Steve Martin and John Candy. This is the first appearance of John Candy in a in a. Uh, well, he was in National Lampoon's Vacation, so it yeah, that's on true. How you, yeah. That's true. Um, They'd be working together in the future. <laughs> a few <laughs> yes, more times. Yes. Uh, so IMDb synopsis says a man must struggle to travel home for Thanksgiving with an obnoxious slab of a shower curtain ring salesman as his only companion. This is one of my favorite things about reading IMDb synopses is how I trip all over them completely. It's, sometimes it's because my favorite thing. sometimes because they're written poorly, and other times because I'm terrible at reading things off of IMDb. But. Um, this is one of those movies that I always feel in or like now that I've seen it, I feel like I'm probably going to watch it every Thanksgiving. Like it's, it cements itself. Like this is probably right behind Ferris Bueller in terms of like my favorite John Hughes movie. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it's his best movie. I really yeah. do. I mean, I, I. He's got a hell of a filmography, but I think this one is his best. It's. It's fully. There's. There's a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
it ties everything up by the end and you feel good about what you just watched yep. and every character has even this little tiny side characters have little little mini character arcs yep. and stuff and that's cool there's the cameos here and there that are kind of fun um it's just it's a fun movie and it's, it makes you feel good so have, yeah. you, have either of you guys seen, have it, you seen it's my favorite john hughes movie because my family watches it every thanksgiving since i was eight or ten that's we awesome. watched die hard every christmas that's fantastic since I was the same age and when i was young was they had dance family they had the they had the vhs like taped off of tv versions because mm-hmm. there's that scene where he says fuck like 35 times <laughs> in this movie yep. and obviously die hard was cut down as well but yeah my my dad has this really loud and like absurd laugh and he said it's funny to watch it with him because he's annoying, ridiculous laugh. But he said the first time they rented this when it came out, they had to stop it during the sequence when they're driving the car that's barely drivable oh and they get God. pulled over because he was crying. He couldn't. He literally could not breathe and was scared for his life. <laughs> he had to amazing. turn to deposit until he could beautiful. regain himself. My uh, my grandpa had the same. He loves planes, trains, and automobiles. Loved planes, trains, and automobiles, and he would like just. He, he was in tears, you know. So I. I it's funny that that this movie does that and it's the same sequence it's the car sequence so it's i think it's just all the comedy in this movie even when it gets ridiculous and slapsticky and at points unbelievable it's still relatable because it's dealing with things that we've all dealt with at some point a crappy car that's falling apart or you know staying with somebody who's kind of obnoxious at some point you know and and you've got steve martin and john candy who are very capable comedic actors there to kind of Mm -hmm. deal with the material and 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 sell it but yeah i i this one this one's very good andrew you need to watch this movie yeah oh wow yeah do it man for sure shitty travel stories are like really boring in real life but this is like the greatest shitty travel story no it's true long fish what is it called fish story you know ever told yeah Mm -hmm. it never you never want to hear someone describing their awful journey to reach you yeah But watching it apparently yeah. with a couple of good actors is not yeah. so bad. And there's also there's class issues going on in this one, not there as are. overtly, but yeah, it's, it's not there. as it's not as in your face as it is with some of the other movies. But it's it is there. I mean, there's certainly a obviously you've got an odd couple thing going on. You've got John Candy who's this huge slob, and you've got Steve Martin who's kind of kept, kind of more well kept together, put together, and stuff. And, but at the same time, John Candy's kind of a kind of a bum in this movie. I mean, it's sad. He's yeah. like floating around the U.S. and has no idea what he's doing with himself. Well, and they explain and why in like a really beautiful sequence with great synthy 80s Absolutely. sounds. It's going. Dream Academy, who yep. who did the music in the museum scene for Ferris Bueller. Yeah, the oh, wow. yeah, please, same, please, please same cover. Group. It's really your trivia here. Did you research this or did you already know? No, I knew this. Yeah, yeah I knew so top of his head. It's, it's very cool that Steve Martin is... It, He's so so gifted that he can play the straight man, and in other movies he can play the wacky, um, uh, you know, instigator, yep. and and he can be hysterical no matter what the situation is. It takes that's a lot of it's like uh, like looking at somebody like Jason Bateman, who's mm-hmm. very well known for being the straight man, and then trying to go into like the the crazier, wackier. Yeah, I don't think it works. for It him. doesn't work quite as well. No. But Steve Martin can he has that duality to yeah. him, and it worked. It worked for Robin Williams. He was great and. Absolutely. Either a straight man or a yeah. wacky son of a bitch. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting thing about saying this is the first movie, you know, not maybe targeted at a teen audience specifically. I remember I saw it when I was, yeah, eight or eight or nine the first time. And I was going through a weird phase with movies where um, I, like, over-empathize with characters. So I, I didn't find, like... Uh, comedy where people kept getting hurt or in trouble or shit things happen again and again very funny i just like thought it was 
said and I was like overemphasizing the scene where he gets like picked up by his balls I thought was like the most troubling thing ever and I was like horrified by the movie for a while until like I understood that type of comedy yeah also getting picked up in the truck by the uh the really really backwater guy that's that is the funniest thing to oh, the sound he makes the sound that guy makes cannot be emulated. Like it's it's the weirdest. It's like kind of a pig sound, but also like a car starting <laughs> That's my up. Dad's other favorite one. I love that. Oh, he I makes this like clearing his throat. Hicks sound. I can't even try like, it. I yeah, I wouldn't even try it. And that's actually that's uh, uh what's his name? The guy who was gonna play the lizard in the Spider-Man movies. Oh, uh, Dylan Baker. Thank is you. A, is he a voice actor? I don't know. I don't actually. know. He probably has done some. What's what's your favorite scene? Oh, it's uh, like I think the scene that you were describing when everything comes together oh. and you start to understand exactly like where John Candy's character is coming from and and what he's gone through like that. It's just too good for me to pass up in terms of like that's got to be my favorite scene. My favorite is when he gets out of the shower and he left him like one washcloth. Yeah. It's his the body. smallest washcloth <laughs> ever in the history of washcloths. It's it's all really good. Though. The other one where we, where. Uh, Andy's trying to hawk all the curtain rings as earrings to all like the idiot girls to get yeah. the money to get out. This is your Diana Ross signed earring, uh, limited edition. <laughs> it's so good. Oh boy! All right. Um, so we'll move on to I think the final of the three Howard Deutsch directed films that we're going to direct today or talk about today. We're not going to direct them. Film today? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have time for that. Written by John Hughes, of course. This is starring Dan Aykroyd and John Candy. It is the Great Outdoors. Came out in eight, 1988. Uh, a Chicago man's hope for a peaceful family vacation in the woods is shattered when the annoying in-laws drop in. Uh, so this is one. I haven't watched this in quite a while. Okay. So, Willie, you'll have to forgive me if I'm wrong. I feel like this is kind of another weird analogous movie to Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Not in, Like, they're still very different movies in terms of plot. Mm-hmm. But in, even in, like, John Candy gets to kind of become the straight man here a little bit. He is. Yeah. He is. And Dan Aykroyd is. Then there's another class thing going on in this movie too. Yeah. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is kind of this sleazy. He just car, used car salesman kind of guy. Yeah. And but which he does great, by the way. Oh yeah. Uh, that's another very very talented comedic actor who can do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then John Candy is kind of a more down to earth. Just wants to go and have a good weekend with his family at this cabin. And and of course Aykroyd shows up and ruins everything. Um, <laughs> But it's this this one I, I grew up a lot with when I was a, when I was a kid because I think it was it's safe for families and I, I don't yeah. think it's like overly like I watched planes trains and automobiles too when I was a kid but um I think I got the edited version as well without the the, the f bombs fuck so um fucking ticket the fucking line <laughs> it's so good um I, I I like this movie a lot I think it, I don't think it's it's one that I go back to very often but mm-hmm. if I need a, if I need a laugh and I see it on the shelf there I'm like all right sweet I remember liking it quite a, like I I think it was interesting because we used to have one of those huge van like I I have two older brothers and 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 we would go on we would like drive up north and uh, we had the TV in the center with the VHS and I think somebody had lent us a copy of the Great Outdoors and we all put it on and watched it on the way up to awesome. up north and. It seemed like really like kind of meta, like, oh, we're about to go do this. Or right. Something. Prophetic. Right. Yeah. And and I remember enjoying it quite a bit, but I think it's one that I'm going to have to go back and, and, and check out again. I almost watched it last night, but it's only available for purchase on Amazon. Yeah, I noticed that. I can't too. rent it. Did Dan Aykroyd show up to your family vacation? And ruin Sadly, no. I'm Well, I, you know, 
Sadly, no. Yeah, I would. Unfortunate. I, I would like it if Dan Aykroyd could. But I watched this movie in a car in Boy Scouts. Yeah, and all I remember was the, the was it Dan Aykroyd's children had the creepy shining like girls. Yeah, the little the little <laughs> redheaded twins that are like kind of they, they even play like they even play like the, the musical cue very similar yeah. identical to the shining. It's kind of it's it's pretty funny. Were you on your way to a camping trip? Yeah, I don't remember which trip, but yeah, I think it was the out west trip I did all over Colorado and Nevada and the mountains and stuff. It's funny. Is that the kind of movie that would be watched on the way to that? Yeah. Have you seen this one? No. Okay. I did not even know this movie existed. Oh, okay. All right. I saw it on this list. <laughs> you should check it out. It's funny. Okay. It's like Planes, Trains, Automobiles, like first draft. Yeah, kind yeah. of. It's, it's not as it's not as it's not as um it's more family friendly too. It is. Yeah, it's not as sophisticated. I don't think as Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's not trying to accomplish. It's not as, as much. dark either. Exactly. Yeah. Planes, it's yeah. so fucking dark. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah. It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It really is. Um, but this one, I, I love the bear in this one. I don't know if you guys remember the bear. Yeah, yeah. The, the, he tells a story about. <laughs> he tells one of those those bear stories. You know, one of those mm. hunter stories about the. The, you know, it's the biggest bear I ever saw, and it was, you know, 7,000 pounds and all this stuff that they always <laughs> say. And um, he talks about how he shot it. Uh, he shot it, and it skimmed the top, or skinned the, the hair off its ass or something like that. Yeah. So it's a bald-ass bear that's supposedly running around these woods. And as it turns out, the story is actually at least partially true, which is <laughs> which you don't expect because you know he's telling this campfire uh, story. Yeah. And then when the bear shows up with a bald ass, you're like, that's amazing. <laughs> this actually happened. So... He he does some. There's some fun stuff with with the bear that I enjoy quite a bit in this movie. The right. the, the romance that he kind of tries to continue to do the the teenage romance thing a little bit in a subplot in this, and it it falls flat. Doesn't quite work. One. Yeah, I think he was tired of it by then, and I think that was like a subplot. He was just like, "Well, oh, they expect me to have this." So it's <laughs> weird. He phones in a teen romance. He does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. All right, well, we can we can move on to the next one and talk about that a little bit more. Uh, Uncle Buck in 1989, directed and written by John Hughes. Um, IMDb synopsis says, uh, Bachelor and all-around slob, Buck babysits his brother's rebellious teenage daughter and her cute younger brother and sister. Um, so this one, I think uh, it kind of combines a little bit of the adult stuff and the teenage stuff as well mm-hmm. in terms of the oldest daughter and her relationship and and. and it feels a little, yeah, and, and and Buck kind of interfering with, or not really like the teen you know. stuff in this movie feels a little uh, farcical. It's yeah. not; he's not playing it straight like he does yeah. in his earlier teen centric movies. It's really just there for Buck to kind of stomp around in. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 must it, like her, just kind of her demeanor and everything is a little bit more like the stereotypical. Oh, I'm a terrible teen daughter that hates her parents. And, yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I mean this was like. I don't know if this was an originator of it, but there's definitely this type of family comedy, you know, where this yeah. this outsized personality interloper comes in and uh, somehow magically resolves everyone's problems yeah. by stumbling around in them. And Maybe another kind of wish fulfillment, you know, mom and dad are going to get the babysitter that fixes all the issues or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. He had different wishes at this point in his life. <laughs> oh. uh, Someone take my kids, please. That's pretty much what he was thinking when he wrote this movie. <laughs> Hopefully not. Allegedly. I don't know. Allegedly um, he was. Yeah, I don't know. Willie, you got any thoughts on Uncle Buck? I like Uncle Buck. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun movie. It's another one that I I think I would rather watch Great Outdoors than Uncle Buck. Did I, did I is... mention John Candy is Uncle Buck? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's so. a very bizarre performance. Yeah. This film. He's yeah he he's almost he's almost kind of got like weird sociopathic stuff. Is it going reserved on. or is it way over the top? What's it like? It's a mix. 
Yeah, there are some scenes where it doesn't seem like he's making any jokes at all. And then there are other scenes where he is he's just like stomping all over the place. And um, I don't know, it just really seems to kind of barrel headfirst into everything. Yeah. But was he an addict? Was he an addict at the time while filming? I don't know. Actually, or? I'm not sure. I have no I, idea. I'm not sure what he what the timeline was for that. Mm, interesting. I want to say it was later than this, but I'm not sure. Yeah. $66 million this film made. Yeah. Uh, so more than Planes, Trains, more than Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club, more than almost all of his films. That's uh, And John Candy was on, this was like John Candy Prime, I think, at this point. He had done so many big movies that people just yeah. wanted to. Baseballs was right around this time, wasn't it? Spaceballs was early, right? wasn't it? No, I think it was like 88. 88. So yeah. it was like the year before. Okay, yeah. Like so I, I, yeah, I think, I think the fact that John Candy's career is kind of like growing at this point and like really... Kind yeah. of heading towards the apex helps the fact that this is one of his largest grossing movies. But, but I do I, I love the car that can't start properly. I, like I've always enjoyed yeah. the, the, the car because you have one of those. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's what I drive. <laughs> um, there's that. So and then um, I I always like the the scene where he finally goes to kind of uh, intimidate what, Bug. Or, no, yeah. What's, yeah. what's yep, bug. Is that his name? Bug. I yep. think it's Bug. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I like that a lot. Which too. I think right there is sort of the giveaway that John Hughes does not care about the teenagers, naming the naming the love interest Bug. Bug. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I think yeah, I mean, by the, this point, I think he was kind of he was kind of done with that. But the function that he kind of serves with that teenage, like he he is like Bug is not like the good boyfriend that yeah. uh, he's interfering with. Bug is the one that needs to be thrown by the wayside and squashed. I suppose. Uh-huh, huh. He is there to be squashed. Yes. All right, and then I think uh, we're, we're going to do a little bit more of a general general uh, John Hughes, if there's anything that you guys would like to bring up that we've missed. But I think we'd be very remiss to not bring up Home Alone around Christmas time. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, Macaulay Culkin impression face. to my left. Yes, uh, Kevin, Kevin McAllister. Um, Home Alone came out in 1990. It was directed by uh, the discoverer of our nation, Christopher Columbus. And uh, IMDb Snaps says, Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, an eight-year-old boy who is accidentally left behind while his family flies to France for Christmas must defend his home against idiotic burglars. I just realized John Hughes wrote the live-action 101 Dalmatians, which has the same plot. It's Home Alone with Dogs. Yeah, he also wrote Baby's Day Out, which is the same plot, but with a baby. <laughs> I think what we're seeing is John Hughes is just kind of good about taking one idea and putting little variations in it to like make it a different Tweaking movie. Tweaking it just a tiny bit. No, yeah. I'm, you mean Never he works work. in Hollywood and is successful? <laughs> is that what you're saying? Never works. Touche. <laughs> and he was he was doing a lot of family movies at this point. I think he was that was kind of what he had transitioned into at this point cuz he yeah. he wrote Beethoven and um Dennis the Menace and just a number of Miracle on 34th Street the the remake that they did in the 90s. Yeah. Flubber. Flubber, yeah. So. God Flubber. He uh this the, is the, the best Robin of Williams those. vehicle flubber. This is definitely the best of those. Um, of yeah, those Home Alone. I think Home like. Uh, am I wrong in thinking that Home Alone probably has a place in like every '90s kid's childhood? I think if you're around Kevin McAllister's age, give or take a few years when yeah. this movie came out, I think you're good. You probably liked it. Yeah. I despise this movie. Really? Really? Yes. I I can't stand it. I think uh, as a it, child, did you feel the same way? I did because it made me so it it. 
unnerved me so much the the position that he was in and uh but it wasn't so much the fear of being home alone it was it was the feeling that he had his parents credit cards and he was spending the money so irresponsibly (laughs) (laughs) that was the thing that got you yeah that's an andrew lapin thing to think interesting like oh my god interesting (laughs) didn't buy those things it's a christmas it's a christmas movie it's a a jewish kid's nightmare it gets worse by like like all the candy uh, yeah, the scene where he like, gets all the candy is so... Ooh. Um, yeah, yeah. The Spine tingling. Also, yeah. They waste so much pizza. <laughs> so much waste in this movie. So much waste. Um, yeah, the, bur- the burglars also... Uh, I don't know. I feel like Joe Pesci was sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel by this point. And yeah. It was a little Same year sad. as Goodfellas, correct? It w- Goodfellas uh, was 91, I thought. 91 or 92, yeah. Oh, and that's what's so bizarre that he was... 1990, actually. Same oh, year. Oh, no, it was 90. Same year. Same year. Oh. High and the low of Joe Pesci. <laughs> well, he phoned in one and he worked on the other. He made a lot of money on both, I assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. That's that's true. But I'd I'd be remiss to to not bring up the, the uh, Daniel Stern the scene with the with the spider on his face. So good, and the and the idea behind like how they filmed that, like he couldn't do the actual scream with the spider, so it would attack he had, him. He had, he had to do a fake scream with the spider on his face and then dub it in later. It's so funny. Like yeah, yeah. And and it's just and you it's can such, tell he's doing that. Oh, because the that spider the, could attack. Is that why? Yeah, oh, like they, they didn't want to frighten the spider. So um, the spider, the spider wrangler was very, yeah. <laughs> they very didn't care about Daniel Peter, Stern. But Peter was all over this. Uh, this yeah, do they this, pay? The, I wonder if they paid them to use their bodies this way. <laughs> I mean, I, I know a lot of it's stunt or whatever and trickery, but I feel like a lot of what they do is just. Yeah, like bottom of the barrel. I know what you mean. Like they really the, sold their bodies to this the film. Physical, yeah. The, the, the the climax of this movie, I mean, there's so much physical humor, and you can you know they're going for this Looney Tunes, you know, wackiness, but it's mm-hmm. like those are real bones breaking. <laughs> you know, yeah. If, if well, you like, are invested in the reality of the movie, it's the, 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 these guys are getting a Have you seen the analysis from a doctor? A doctor does an analysis and explains like like how many were like fatal. Like the iron scene, he drops an iron like 40 feet oh, on God. his head. Oh, God. He says, like, broke a bow, oh. traumatic brain injuries. Like, he goes through, like, a whole analysis of each sequence. It's great. I think that's we're all so thinking much horrible. too far into Home Alone that's, right now. That's awesome. I no, know. no, it's, it's – this, this was a traumatizing movie. I think it was this one or the second one where they, they get electrocuted and you, like, see his skeleton. That's yeah, the I think it's the second, second one. That one's even more disturbing. So it's really bleak. He spends a lot movie. more money really in that bleak. one. He does spend a lot more money. Yeah, that movie he, made me never want to go to New York. I was like, it looks like the worst place on earth. <laughs> oh, yeah, also worst – Worst parents in the history of, of yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 <laughs> and um, I, I remember this from One Hundred One Nations because it's like the same movie, but also in that one, when the burglars are getting attacked through wacky means, I think one of them freezes uh, uh-huh. in place, and like the soundtrack kind of pauses, and it's like this really eerie, <laughs> silent moment, and it's like, oh my god, I feel bad for him. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. When I was in that same uh, over empathy phase, I didn't like Home Alone. I just thought. They they didn't deserve what was rained upon them <laughs> by Kevin McAllister. Do things the right way. Yeah, my yeah, favorite my favorite scene is the um, Marv. Why are you dressed like a chicken? <laughs> that one gets good. me every time. Absolutely. And also, okay, I'll I'll give another rationale for my hatred of this movie. Then we can move on. But um, it seems like in the rest of his career, John Hughes really respects like the working class, and he doesn't make jokes at their expense. And this movie really turned that around. The 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 butt of the jokes are reserved for um, rubes, I guess, because Kevin McAllister is, uh, you know, he's, he's got a nice family and he's living in a nice house yeah. and he's, you know, taking control of his own, um, uh, I don't know, cosmopolitan life. And I, I, it's just, it, it was, 
I'm not, I can't explain why it irks me the way it does, <laughs> but it just does. There's something about it. I think it's be a very interesting think piece. Maybe this will help. I read this review on Letterboxd the other day. If you're not on Letterboxd, get on Letterboxd. Uh, somebody called Andrea Stower says, Home Alone is an incredibly conservative movie. It champions a mother's love for her son as the greatest of virtues, and it aligns this devotion with the McAllister family as a whole, their affluent lifestyle, their mansion in a Chicago suburb, the yuletide kitsch that adorns it. These are good things. The thieves who dub their riches the silver tuna, meanwhile, are not merely bad, but abject, as exemplified by Joe Pesci's gold tooth. (laughs) Their bodily integrity becomes Kevin's sadistic playground. (laughs) Because they're the aggressors... His violence is in self-defense, and thus Home Alone lets him live out another kid fantasy to hurt others while still being morally in the clear. I wonder if Kevin grew up to be a cop. Wow. Jeez. Poignant. I want to subscribe to her letterbox. <laughs> um, um, I just want to say I like the, uh, the subplot with the next-door neighbor. I was always a fan of that. Uh, the, the redemption, the who, another redemption theme. Yeah. yeah. When he talks to him in the church and he says, like, hey, like, I think you should talk to your son. They gave him, called him and for him. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was like this creepy neighbor with a big shovel. And they yeah, always tell, yeah, they, yeah. They, they tell the stories about him, like, he murdered yeah, his yeah. wife or something like that. And, you know, you hear that. You hear stuff like that as a kid, like, oh, the old lady that lives down there is, right, you know. Right, uh, I, I always like that. And I always like that subplot. I also like that I didn't realize this. And it's been a while since I've really watched Home Alone. But apparently Chris Columbus shot the movie that Kevin is watching with the gangsters. That's I thought not, that was a famous movie from one. the 30s. No, it's, it's, it's made up for the movie. That's, yeah. that's Home Alone I thought too. that was the original Scarface. Mm-mm. No. I don't I, think I mean, so. It's, it's, it was filmed a pump your guts the... full of lead? That's not actually a real famous movie? That's a, it no. might be from a movie, but that actual the actor and stuff that are in 1 and 2 on the fake are on the movie that he's watching. Wow. It's, yeah, it was all shot for Home Yeah, Home. the movie that Kevin watches on videotape is not a real film, but footage especially created... It was called Angels with Filthy Souls, along with other similar era references in the movie. This is a play upon Angels with Dirty Faces in 1938, starring uh, James Cagney. So it might have some lines and things like I that. See. It seemed like a James Cagney. Yeah. Movie. No, but the, the, so they do the same gag in the second one, right? Yeah, That's he, why he, I he watches the, the sequel or whatever it is to the... Yeah. Oh, it's the sequel. Something like that. I <laughs> yeah. remember... Uh, yeah. Okay. Because that's what keeps Tim Curry from entering Oh, the, meta. The yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, uh, so I think that that brings us to the end of the planned roster that we had of John Hughes movies to talk about. Do you guys have any other stragglers or anything? We could, kinda, um, we could yeah, bring up ahead. the vacation movie because he he wrote the short that the, that the original vacation was based on, and I think he did some script work as well. It was along, called what, Vacation sixty eight or something like that. Va- vacation fifty eight. Fifty eight, and then uh, Harold Ramis and. Um, uh, Chevy Chase did some more work on the script as well. What do you think of them bringing back the vacation movies? I don't know. I like. I never like. For some reason, the vacation movies never really had a special place in my heart. I had. I didn't like watch them constantly. Except my my dad really does love my dad's family loves um, uh, Christmas Vacation because that's the other one that John Hughes wrote. Actually, I think right. Which one? Christmas oh. Vacation. Yeah, I think the only the European and the. Vegas, it's like characters just gets a story created credit. by, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, so I don't have a lot of uh, deep-rooted fondness for the Vacation series, and I like Ed Helms, so I'm kind of open to the idea that they're going to do a movie, but I'm not, like, looking forward to it, and I don't I don't condemn it either. I don't know, what do you guys... Is it a sequel, a prequel, doing, a reboot, so or a prequel? The Vacation movies, 
with Ed Helms and the it's a, it's a seaboot and a requel role. Yeah, I guess he's rusty. He's rusty. Yeah. He's 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 Chevy Chase's kid, right. grown up. And then Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo are also going to be in the new movie, um, but in a reduced role. I think. I think if they if they make uh, Chevy Chase's if they make Clark totally like like just a bitter angry old man. Like, like if they really just make him like horrible to be around, like the the grandma from the original Vacation, yeah. I'll be totally down. Like if he's just like an awful person, I don't know. I, I mean, I that's that would be the the nasty cyclical nature of. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what I, I that's what I want. I want that to happen. Like now, poor Rusty is, is has to deal with this angry old man that he's going to strap to the roof of the car because he can't stand him anymore. I, I, like I want to see that movie. I feel like that's like steps away from Pierce Hawthorne of Community. Like yeah, the, he's almost there. Prepping so. his way. <laughs> I don't think they would make the dog. The dog chained up against the car joke today no. from the original mm, one? No, probably not. Like with the way people think about animals now? Yeah. Well, probably. I don't know. They well, did the stupid joke in The Hangover with the giraffe or whatever yeah. it was. Ooh. So maybe? <laughs> yeah. I don't, if it'll it's be... exotic animals, we're okay. <laughs> it's household pets, not okay. That's true. That's why the dog survives in Godzilla. Yep. Right? <laughs> the newest one? Oh, is he in Godzilla? Or maybe I'm thinking of... Day after tomorrow. I don't know. There's some disaster movie. There's a dog in all of them, and the dog always survives. That's true. <laughs> Thousands of people die. Buildings crater. Uh, you know, the city sinks into the sea, but the dog survives. Well, the dog doesn't. Spoiler alert: the dog doesn't survive in I Am Legend. But or Marley and Me. Oh. We're just gonna name dead dog movies now. Yep, that's Yellow, old Yellow. Yellow. Red Fern grows. My dog Skip. <laughs> Oh, my dog Skip. Right. Midwest Films with Dead Dogs Turner podcast. <laughs> um, Any other John Hughes John, thoughts? John Wick, I heard, is about a dead dog. Oh, absolutely. I have that's, kind of, that's kind of the, that's the a, yeah, inciting incident, correct? Yeah. yeah. I think and it's fair. Not only is it a dead dog, but it was, it was, it was bought for him by his dead wife. Yes. So it's even oh. it's a second layer of sad <laughs> on top of the initial dog yep. death. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of, of John Hughes, and I think that he had some, he certainly had some hiccups like any director that's done had this long of a list of yeah. But, you know, I, I think that for the most part, mo- these movies, especially The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, those ones, there's a reason why they're kind of considered classics of that yeah. of that era. And and I think they deserve it. So, And it's I think a- there's a lot of hidden gems in, in there, too. I think that things like Some Kind of Wonderful, it might not be the best movie he's made, but I think it's worth checking out. And yeah. Great Outdoors, things like that. So it's... Yeah, I mean, you should watch John Hughes movies if you have not watched John Hughes movies. Totally. Yeah. Maybe not Drill Bit Taylor. It's sad that he left the world with well, that Well, he didn't one. write it as John Hughes, so just yeah, we, we won't count it. It is a little interesting to look at Drill Bit Taylor and think about how uh, how distant the John Hughes worldview had become by yeah. 2008. It, the movie's also doubly creepy because it, it was the last movie Owen Wilson made before his suicide attempt. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot of grimness in that movie. Yeah. I love the way his suicide attempt colors the Darjeeling Limited. Yes. Yeah. That's that makes it that's pretty excellent. Even more interesting. It's it's been a while since I've re like I don't know if I've fully rewatched Darjeeling since theaters. Every Wes Anderson movie deserves at least two rewatches. I think his movies are something about the way that they're paced, uh they get better each time you watch. And just all of the information that he crams into each frame. You yeah. get a little bit more like, time to digest them. With Moonrise and with Grand Budapest, first time I laughed a bunch and thought it was good. Second time I cried and cried. Interesting. I, I didn't. I was not a big fan of Moonrise, but I've only seen it the one time. I do need to give it another uh-huh. chance. I but. think Moonrise might be his best. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, that and Fantastic Mr. Fox. That one's great. My favorite is uh, Royal Tenenbaums. All about the life aquatic here. No, you're not. See, Absolutely. so now we know where you guys are going to come back. <laughs> the Wes Anderson the retrospective. The Wes Anderson. <laughs> I mean, clearly we have a conversation going here. So Absolutely. You guys come back. I won't be in that one because I, I don't feel confident enough to talk about Wes Anderson. But it's just because you don't like him? No, I do like him, actually. Oh. I, I'm just not – I haven't seen all his movies, and I'm kind of all over yeah. the place with him. So. I feel like I feel like film nerds of, of our age has, have to absorb everything Wes Anderson puts out there. Yeah, I don't know. I I I like – some things. <laughs> I like Grand Budapest a lot. I really, yeah. really enjoyed that. I did not like Moonrise Kingdom. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to go over all the movies that I saw. That was yeah, we can save that for another bonus episode. But it's a mixed bag for me with him. So I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel like I'd be doing him. Just, I'd be doing him a disservice by trying to talk about him. So. Eh. But anyway, yeah. Um, so as we go to wrap up here, I want to give you guys an opportunity to talk about where others can find your work because you're out there doing things that they can read and watch and see. So, uh, Andrew, if you want to share. Sure. You can find my film reviews uh, at npr.org and at thedissolve.com. I write fairly regularly for both outlets. And I do uh, theater reviews for the DC crowd. Uh, for Washington City paper, although I don't know how many you're sort of localizing yourself with the Midwest thing. So. No, it's true, but we have we have listeners. I think we have more international listeners yeah. than we have. Really? Than, yeah, like we cool. we've got people from Netherlands, New Zealand. Uh, wow. We've had somebody from Hong Kong write in. So. North Korea. Yeah, North Korea. Kim Jong all the time. Yeah. Hey guys, love your we love your. We, we can't feature his feedback anymore because it's just getting too much. Like five yeah. or six emails. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, we gotta move on. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, if yeah. anybody's in DC, check out some of uh, Andrew's theater reviews. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, feature stories for the Atlantic on occasion. I'm I'm all over the place. Uh, and and uh, my Twitter is at Andrew Lapin. So yeah, I, I we'll we'll have a link to it in the, in the show notes. Cool. So. Cool. Dan, my film stuff is not quite as public. Uh, <laughs> you can find stuff I write and films I make at Rack Focus Blog. Uh, it's a WordPress blog. Okay. Awesome. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Yes. Uh, but anyway, I know it was a long time coming. I hope everybody enjoyed our John Hughes retrospective. Uh, as I said at the beginning, if there's anything that we didn't cover that you wanted us to, um, please write in. Feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. You can find us on Twitter at MFN Podcast. Uh, Midwest Film Nerds Podcast on Facebook. Go to MidwestFilmNerds.com for all of our previous episodes and full show notes. The time codes and everything, so you can skip the spoilery uh, bits. Wow, that's a good service you guys do. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd feel really thank, bad if I spoiled movies for people. Thank you for thank you for appreciating that. Yeah, no, it's, I mean people people get really you know, yeah. I know I'm one I'm one of, yeah. I'm one of those people. That's why I do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I that's I I'll put a spoiler tag up at the front because I didn't really say hey we might be spoiling some John Hughes stuff here, but hope I did justice to the man. I, I think, think we I all think, did. I think we all did good. Yeah, why do you, you guys, why do you think he went he went silent for the last decade of his life? I don't really know. I know they made the documentary on that. What was the documentary? Isn't that the point of being reclusive? Uh, <laughs> don't you forget about me. And it's a documentary about a couple of documentary filmmakers that love John Hughes movies that really just want to find him. <laughs> like the one thing I will say though is that it, it, it sucks to be a famous recluse because you know someone's going to make a documentary about trying to find you. <laughs> that must be the most obnoxious thing. Since Searching for Sugar Man. Yeah, and uh, I actually love that movie. But don't spoil uh, that one. They went see uh, J.D. Salinger. Yeah, Salinger. Yeah, I, I it was garbage. Oh, God. 
See oh, Winnebago Man? Oh, boy. I heard the new Linklater documentary sucks that Ethan Hawke made. I heard it's bad. It was really? at the Denver Film Festival, and I didn't see it. What's I it, it called? 12 years? 30 21 years? 21 years. Linklater. I just saw Slacker for the first time. It's incredible. I haven't seen Slacker, but I do love, like, I like what if I've if seen. If you like Linklater, you should watch Slacker. Yeah. All right. Slacker is all over the place. $25,000. on every online video site. <laughs> all right. It never leaves. <laughs> I always see Slacker. All right, but thank you guys for joining. We hope to have you on, even if you aren't in the uh, Midwest area. We'll uh, we'll Skype you in for something. If there's any movies that come out that you guys are like, hey, I'd really like to sit down and talk about this with with some people, we'll get the Skype going. We'll have you on the episode for it. Cool. Just let me know. Glad to be here. All Thanks. Right. Thank you so much. Kyle X Y, go watch a movie. <laughs>